0: Again, thank you everyone. Um, It's really a pleasure to be here and serve you and to look at all of you out there and and know that there's so many things that the world asks and calls you to do. But on a Sunday, it's great to see you all here. Um, I've been on the road a lot the last few weeks helping out some local pastors at other churches. It's been a great experience, but no matter how gracious and wonderful the people are, it's always good to be home with you all. I may be a little biased, but you are the best congregation a vicar could have, so thank you. I don't know about you, but I'm having a hard time with October 1st today. Uh, it's, the summer's gone, you know, and I, and I did some calculations in that we're closer to Christmas than we are to this past Fourth of July, isn't that crazy? Um, although you wouldn't be able to tell by the weather outside that we've had this weekend, it's more summer-like than that. But you know, I think what really keyed off is the pumpkin spice season, and I think that started a little early this year. But you know, I have to hand it to those marketers for those pumpkins, man. You know, whatever it is, they hit a home run on that. So, anyways, um, with all the busyness in my life and how it's been these last few months. And I I, I know Dave is here today. Most of the staff are kind of maybe still recovering a little bit from Reagan's wedding last night. Um, And all the homework I've had, I was thinking about maybe, you know, using some AI to help put this service together. And and I don't know, you know, AI is the new thing that's out there. And it's a little shaky sometimes, but anyway. So I've read some AI-generated stories and I've had, you know, I've been mildly what I am, but I'm still a little skeptical. And I'm not sure about how this would work with sermon messages. You know, it seems pretty secular. It's also because I grew up with the Terminator movies and or the science fiction dystopian future where robots or or machines are either being systematically eliminated or are sold into slavery for the machines. So anyways, I got on the interweb to see if there were any examples of sermons written by AI that I could check out and give me some perspective on, you know, how it would look if I had them write this this sermon. Of course, it wasn't long before my ADHD kicked in and I was chasing a rabbit down a hole. This led me to a link that had the description that read, AI created from the phrase, Jesus flipping over the tables in the temple. So I clicked on the link and this is what the picture showed up. <laughs> I don't know, you know, missed a little bit I think. Anyways, so you know I'm wondering what the picture would have been like if I added when Jesus flipping over the tables in the temple being judged by the Pharisees. I'm imagining a table of Pharisees holding up pieces of parchment with Roman numerals on them. Um, and if he stuck the landing, which of course he's Jesus, so he would have, um, get some high scores except from the Russian Pharisee, of course, they would downgrade him. So anyways, to reassure you, this sermon is totally generated by TW, which is me. So <laughs> um, the reason I was looking for some help on this chapter, James, is the major theme of this chapter Although James doesn't mention, we'll get to the verse shortly, doesn't mention, mention pride until verse 6, the major thrust of chapter 4 is pride. So I'm going to put the verses up on the screen, and if you read along with me, that would be great. And it's really long, so hang in there. So what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You don't have because you don't ask God. When you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enemy against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. You know, if you think about it, Lucifer fell because of his pride. Adam and Eve caused the fall of creation by their pride. And they physically walked with God and were all done in by pride. Wasn't it the Pharisees' pride manifested in a distorted righteousness that Jesus challenged them on? David allowed his pride to fester and ended up sleeping with a married woman, Bathsheba. I could go on and on with examples in the Old Testament, but pride has left a wreckage of destroyed lives in its wake throughout the Old Testament. It's no wonder that the sin of pride is what I have struggled with, most of my life. And for this reason, I want to start by saying, hello, I'm Todd Wilgos, and I'm a pride I'm not going to embarrass myself by telling you when the last time I drank from the cup of pride, because the time would be measured in minutes rather than days or weeks. Pride has been pride has been the God I've been serving, and I've struggled all my life with it. Sometimes I've been successful, and other times i failed to subdue it. Pride is insidious if you think about it. It doesn't have to be visible to others while it slowly, silently destroys me. I don't have to go anywhere for a drink or a hit of pride. I could do it anywhere at any time without anyone knowing it, or so I think, but God knows. My intention isn't to demean any form of addiction that people struggle with, but the temptation of living a prideful life is the thing I turn to. Ironically, a person filled with pride would say, if they even acknowledged their pride, that pride would be the worst addiction because a prideful person elevates themselves above others. This is is the reason why I believe pride is usually listed as the first of the seven deadly sins. It is above greed, lust, envy, gluttony, wrath, and sloth. I offer to you that the six remaining deadly sins are all gnarled branches that sprout from the tree of pride, each branch bearing poisonous fruit that is lethal to my heart. There is so much in chapter in this chapter of James that it would really be impossible for me to go through it verse by verse, and maybe, you know, sometime I will in the future. So I'm going to focus on prideful living and then on the antidote, to the venom of pride that is killing my heart. I realize that, you know, what I'm saying may make some people comfortable, but if I if I can't be honest with all of you, what chance do I have of gaining victory over my pride? Many scholars have commented on how James is a New Testament version of Proverbs. And the proverb that commentary that the commentaries attached to James description of pride in chapter 4 is Proverbs 34. He mocks proud mockers, but shows favor to the humble and pressed. You know that proud appears thirty six times in the Old Testament and it all ties to how detestable it is to God. Unlike the scholars, when I read these verses in James talking about pride, the proverb that actually jumps out at me is Proverbs sixteen eighteen. You know, you all know it, and I'll prove it. I'm going to spot you the first three words of the proverb, and I'm going to ask you all to finish it. Pride goes before... Okay, you're right. Now, don't get too prideful on that. Okay, just... Uh so, when you think about it, how frightening is that? Growing up, that sucked the joy out of my life. You know, it reinforced the thought that God was looking for a way to punish me if I ever took any pride in my work or anything that I did. But I want you to know that actually that's a paraphrase of Proverbs 16, 18. So the actual verse reads, Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before the fall. You know, you're probably thinking that, well, this seems like it's the same thing. But I argue that it isn't. Because in my effort to fight against pride in my life, I have lost out on the blessings, that, the gifts that God has given me. Pride isn't exclusively negative. For example, when Paul came upon, was Paul about to come on destruction when in Romans 11:13, when he said, I am talking to you Gentiles. Inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I take pride in my ministry. Did he have a haughty spirit? I don't think so. When Jesus, in Matthew 25, 21, which he repeats in verse 23, you have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Isn't Jesus really saying that the servant should take pride in what he has done for Jesus? How cruel would God be if he gave us talents and skills but he wouldn't allow us to appreciate the outputs uh, that the skills generated. If this was God's intention, I would be nothing but a robot, just rotely performing tasks mindlessly. It wasn't wrong, and it still isn't wrong, for me to take pride in my accomplishments, just like everyone. But there's another word that I found that maybe be more appropriate for pride. It is called Vainglory. I'm gonna put it up on the screen. So, Vainglory says it's an inordinate pride in oneself or one's achievements. It's excessive vanity. I don't know, has everyone heard, heard of Vainglory before? So, this is a new word you can take home using conversations with anything. So, um, So, actually, it's a real word because it's in the Bible in Philippians 2, verse 3 in the King James Version, and I'll put it up on the screen. Let nothing be done through stife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other, each other better than themselves. So I think it's the perfect word for the kind of pride that leads to destruction. You know, I'm thinking about changing instead of swallowing your pride, I'm gonna say. Swallow your vainglory. You know, if you take the word glory and replace it with praise, then insert any synonym for vain, and the combinations are actually very descriptive and actually pretty funny. So I'm going to do this. I praise my conceitedness. I praise my narcissism. The one that I really got a kick out of most was, I am praising my big-headedness. It may sound funny, but when I have vainglory and I'm living in vainglory, these describe the Bible, the pride that the Bible is warning of us of. So again, substituting some of these praises with pride, you know, makes me look at the verse in a different light. Instead of pride goes before destruction, praising my conceitedness goes before destruction. Praising my narcissism goes before its destruction. Praising my big-headedness goes before my destruction. And now if you add this to the second part of the proverb, substituting arrogant or disdain or haught for haughty, I can see how God hates a prideful person. Here's an example. Praising my conceitedness goes before destruction, an arrogant spirit before the fall. It gives kind of a whole new meaning to that, doesn't it? How about praising my narcissism goes before destruction, my disdainful spirit before the fall? What I realize as I'm going through this all is that pride untethered from God results in vainglory. When my vainglory elevates me above others, I am without love. And when I'm without love, I get threatened by the littlest of things. I become defensive, as in as in James' words, I become quarrelsome. I call this pride plan, this pride is a plan without God. When I'm on this plan, my vainglory manifests itself manifests itself in two ways. One, it makes me feel superior to others. I'm better than them. And I and the secondly is I feel entitled. Okay. You know, all this stuff I I deserve. So when I'm threatened and I don't get what I want, I become defensive, or as James does write, quarrelsome. Like the saying goes, many of you've heard it: a good defense is the best; good offense is the best defense. So I strike back when my pride is challenged. My heart tainted by vain glory becomes envious. My request of others and God becomes self-centered, and of course, they're not met as James describes. I'm embarrassed to admit. But when my vein, with vainglory pumping through my veins, I attack anyone that dares to knock me off my pedestal that I've placed myself on. I may not physically kill someone, but acting superior or with disdain towards another person really could be worse than death, if you've ever been on that end of that. When I put my satisfactions and my desires above everything else, I idolize myself. I elevate myself before God. And this leads me into dangerous territory. In this territory, I don't recognize my weaknesses, but I could surely surely see weaknesses of others and then often use them against them. I become oblivious to my sins, or worse, I downgrade them by viewing them instead as mistakes. Sins becomes oops, oops this, oops that. If pride was something God detests, Surely demeaning the sacrifice Jesus made on the cross is worse. Jesus didn't die for my mistakes or oopses. He died for my sins. When I'm basking in my vainglory, I wonder why I have so much strife and quarrels in my life. But I shouldn't wonder because it's in black and white in verse 6. God opposes the pride. If you think about it, I've picked a fight with God. And it's a fight... I will never win, and none of us will win when we fight against God. But God, in his grace and mercy, there's a way out. It's actually found in the next sentence of James. But favors the humble. Humility and humbleness is the antidote to vainglory. When I feel my vainglory rising... I counter it by getting on my knees at the foot of the cross and thanking him for forgiving my sins and those of the world, just like we sang in the song, you fight on your knees. I thank him for the blessings and talents he has given me, and I pray that the Holy Spirit directs those outward. Like a snake bite, to remove the venomous vainglory from my heart, it must be sucked out. Humility not only sucks it up, but it also replaces it with humbleness. Living in humility allows God to work miracles in my life and the lives of others. I want to transition and I want to invite Isaac Robert up. Isaac's going to talk about something that recently happened to his family and the miracle that resulted and how getting on your knees can be successful.
1: Uh, thanks, Todd. Um, so, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Isaac Robert. I've been coming to FOF for about two years now. Um, I'm usually a little more easily identified by my lovely wife, Morgan, who's up here a lot singing next to Steve. So, if you at least know her, um, I'm just her lesser half. Um, thanks to Dave and Todd for asking me to share what I, I think is a pretty remarkable story. It's a, it's a story of a lot of incredible things, but I, I think at the heart of it, it's really a story of prayer. Um, And so I'm hoping it might resonate or or hit home with some of you or maybe change the way you think about prayer a little bit. Or uh, if if nothing else, it's maybe just a little more fun to listen to than Dave's announcements. Uh, I thought he wasn't going to be here today, so that's why I added that in. Uh, To give you a little background, I grew up with three brothers, my older brother Nathan, younger brother Micah, and youngest brother Luke. Uh, Luke just graduated uh, college in May, so he's been home for the summer Uh, preparing to move out to Utah to start his new job. And about two months ago, uh, Luke woke up one Friday morning with a a fever. He wasn't feeling very well. Um, Um. So my parents took him to the doctor, but it it seemed like it was just a flu bug, and so they sent him home thinking he'd be feeling better in in the next day or so. Um, By Sunday, though, things had gotten progressively worse. So we went back to the doctor, and uh, they actually admitted him into the hospital to, to start running some tests on him. Uh, By Monday, things had gotten really bad, though. Uh, The test results came back, and and he had a staph infection that was causing a a vegetation to form on his heart valve, um, which in turn was causing bits of that vegetation to break off and travel up to his brain, which was then causing major issues with his vision and and cognitive abilities. Uh, He could barely see his hands in front of his face, and when asked what year it was, his response was 2003. Uh, But the good news was that they had finally figured out what was going on with him, so they were able to start him on on proper antibiotics. And Tuesday, we actually received really good news that um, it seemed like his vision and cognitive ability had improved a bit from Monday. Uh, So on Wednesday morning, we were just finishing up some work, getting ready to go to the hospital visit him, and uh, got a call from my mom. Uh, Luke had gone unresponsive, and the doctor suspected he uh, had suffered a major stroke. Um, they had to put him on a breathing tube, and we needed to get to the hospital as soon as possible. Um, at, at that point, everything just kind of went numb in my body. I, I, I didn't know what to do, didn't know what to say, didn't know what to think. Um, we got to the hospital just as my parents were going back to the, talk to the doctors again, so I was kind of just left alone in my thoughts, and I, I not really knowing what to think about, um, I started to plan what to say at my brother's funeral. Um, and every thought that I had was just about how amazing of a person he was. And as, and as I thought about that, I, my thoughts turned to sort of getting angrier and, and angrier with God. I couldn't fathom how he could let something like this happen to such a, a kind and generous person. And it was just this, like, deep, boiling sense of fury. And, and, and it got to the point where I couldn't take it anymore. And I just looked up and screamed out in my mind, do something! Um... About a minute later my parents walked in and said luke was okay <laughs> uh, the doctors had done a ct scan and brain showed no signs of stroke uh, they didn't know what caused him to go unresponsive but um, he was okay and stable for the time being um, now let me get one thing straight i by no means saying that's how you should talk or, or pray to god In fact, I'm a little ashamed of that moment, but I'm also not going to act like the timing of that was a coincidence because it wasn't. Uh, In my time of of greatest need, God was reaching out and saying, Hey, chill. I'm here. I know what's going on. I got this. Uh, Now, as amazing of news as that was, we saw it a long ways ago. Luke was going to need open heart surgery the following morning to replace the heart valve that had the vegetation. Um, There was significant risk of, of stroke happening during the surgery. There was no certainty that he'd be able to come off the breathing tube after surgery uh, there was no telling what his his vision or his cognitive ability was going to be like and, and if that would ever return to 100 percent and there was even risk of him not making it through the night to get to the surgery in the first place and that's when the massive inflow of prayers started to come in if if we thought we had support before then we had no idea what was going what was about to happen uh, there were prayer chains being started at churches all over the place. Uh, friends of friends of friends had somehow found out and were praying. Uh, people I hadn't talked to in five to ten years were, were reaching out and letting me know that they were praying for Luke. There were there were certainly hundreds and, and I think likely thousands of people praying for Luke. And God answered every single one of our prayers. Uh, he was in and out of surgery in four hours when it was supposed to take six or eight or, or even longer. Um He was off the breathing tube and and breathing on his own a couple hours after that. His vision returned to 100% in one day. Uh, His cognitive ability returned to 100% in in just a couple of weeks. He's still almost as smart as I am. Uh, (laughs) He was discharged from the hospital just a week after surgery and just left today for Utah to start the next chapter of his life. So what am I hoping you all can learn from this story? Well, uh, for one thing, based on the amount of sport Luke got, he's clearly the favorite amongst the Robert siblings. Uh, but more importantly, there is power in prayer. There's power in prayer. There's power in prayer. God performed miracle after miracle for us, and I don't doubt for one second that the thousands of people praying for him made all the difference in the world. So if, if you're looking for answers or, or, or are struggling with something, Pray about it. Ask people to pray about it. There's a number shared on the screen earlier today that you can use to ask people at FOF to pray for you. Use it. Um, and, and don't just stop there. Offer to pray for others, too. We're, we're so thankful for all of the people who are praying for Luke, many of which are in this congregation. So uh, be that person for someone else. And, and know that God may not answer all your prayers the way you're, you're hoping, but I can tell you firsthand that it, it definitely does not hurt to ask. Um, So thank you, and God bless.
0: Thanks, Isaac. That was uh, amazing. And I think we have a new person to read the announcements. What do you think? (laughs) (laughs) If you're like me, and you suffer from vainglory, just know there's hope. But the first thing I need to do is recognize that my pride is vainglory and is absent of God. To help, I find that God puts people in my path that see right through my garbage. They shoot straight with me. I found that my family is a good start. If you know my family, they just don't hold back. They're not impressed with my accomplishments because they know my history. So if you don't have a family like that, I'd advise you to get a family like that. Um, If you can't, get some close friends. When I recognize my vainglory, my eyes are open to my weaknesses. It exposes how much I'm aligned with the world and not God. I feel and I realize that I'm sitting in front of God with my fists shaken when I should be behind him, following him. This really leads to me truly seeing the sin of my actions. They're not mistakes or just oops. And this leads me to the foot of the cross on my knees. Like any addiction, I'll never be cured of my vainglory. But the more I humble myself to the Lord, the less pride controls my life. Each morning when I get up, I have to drown of my sin of pride being reborn with thankfulness in his gift, which drops me to my knees. In the verse we read, it's true. If I humble myself before the Lord, I won't have to lift myself up. God will. Bow in prayer. Thank you, Lord. You are a great and awesome God. Even in my pride and vainglory, you love and draw near to me. I am so thankful that you're teaching me to get to my knees, to confess my sins, and bow before your graciousness. I pray that all of us and everyone who suffers from pride, that you encourage them to get in front of you and just get on their knees at the foot of your cross, knowing that your blood wipes them clean. In your name I pray, amen.